If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. I mean, I've learned to be very thick-skinned about what people say, who don't who mean who don't mean anything. But when they say stuff like, "I don't care what anyone says, I liked you," oh, thank God, I'm not on social media. <laughs> Hello, I'm Catherine Tate and I am Nellie Bertram from The Office. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining me once again for another episode of Off the Beat. I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today's episode, you Office fans, get excited. We've got her. We finally got her. Catherine Tate has a conversation with me in the studio today, a.k.a. Nellie Bertram. Her character, so good. Fans were so unfair to her early on. There was like, oh, new character? We don't like her. By the end, she gave us some of the funniest moments in the later seasons of The Office. Am I right? The infamous pyramid tablets, the Packer and Schrute 
love triangle, jousting with Andy, adopting Ryan's baby. The list goes on. I love her so much. But what many of you don't know this, Catherine, she's a legend in the UK, across the pond, as I call it. She had her own show, The Catherine Tate Show. Now there's The Nan Movie is out, Doctor Who. She is so incredibly talented, and she has created some of the greatest British humor in the history of the BBC. And in fact, if you're ever curious just about how influential she is, know this. Know that Adele dressed up as Catherine's Nan character on her 29th birthday. Look at the pictures. It is incredible. But we've waited long enough. No more talk from me. Let's hear from the genius herself, Catherine Tate, everybody. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. Catherine. Brian. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> I see you. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I mean, you know what? I'm I'm hanging in there. How about that? I'm yeah. I'm I'm hanging in there. Uh you're busier than ever. I mean, it's unbelievable how busy you are. It would appear so. But it's really just COVID that has made it sound, I've seen like I'm, I'm very much um, on the uh, production line. It's that a couple of projects that I did have come out very close together. That's what it was. But they were actually, they were actually a couple of years apart in making. Oh, I And see. then COVID just came in and uh, one got the movie, the Nan movie got held up drastically in post-production. And then Hard Sell, to be fair, Hard Sell, we, gosh, we filmed that about nine months ago. Okay. And that was a very quick turnaround because it's Netflix run a tight ship and we, um, <laughs> there was a big old, you know, a, a, a schedule and we didn't get shut down from COVID. We were very lucky. <laughs> but yeah, but they got released within sort of like about three, three or four weeks of each other. So it looks like I'm, <laughs> looks like I'm very in demand. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to talk about, both of those projects and everything else that you're doing, I want to start back at the beginning. Yes. I mean, it's not just the accent. I did my research. You're from England. I'm from a small town called England. <laughs> small town called England. And you, I understand you went to convent school. Is this correct? I did. I went to a variety of, of Catholic-based educational establishments and sort of one by one they picked me off and said oh on your way because <laughs> the thing is <laughs> the thing is I knew I think I knew from quite a young age that I wanted to be an actor but what the nuns heard instead of me saying I wanted to be an actor or an actress right what they heard was I want to be a prostitute <laughs> because <laughs> it, it seemed to be synonymous with 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 loose moraled people I think and they didn't really know what to do with me and it was the um in the 1980s I hopped around quite a lot of different high schools and middle schools and and ended up 
what did I end up doing? Oh, I end. I think I ended up still leaving, still leaving before my final exams. I was a terrible example. I'm a terrible example to <laughs> to children. <laughs> well, I also heard. Is this right? You went to a boys Roman Catholic school. I did. How does did. that happen? How is that allowed? Happens when all the girls' schools have heard about you and go, "Don't let her in. She wants to be a prostitute." <laughs> Did you have, now was this family that you went to a, con, a, a convent school? Was this? I went, I started, I started off in an elementary school. Yeah. In a, not, not a convent school, but, a, but an elementary Catholic school that okay. my mum had gone to and my nan, my grandmother had gone to and, you know, just right down the line. And then I, then I went to, I think I went to four different schools and then found a place in south london that would accept me but it was a boys school oh my god and it was fantastic you know i absolutely <laughs> i absolutely loved it didn't get a lot of work done <laughs> didn't come out with many exams but it felt like being it was like being a pop star they'd allowed four girls into the high school part of it and um yeah, I mean, it was people, kids would just like these young boys, they'd sort of run up, touch you and then run away again. You know, I mean, not, not, in, a, not in a me too kind of way, I have to say, just in like an 11 year old kind of way. But you, you were like, a, you were just this novelty. Yeah, and I absolutely loved my time there. The only thing I got from there was doing plays and learning French. Learning French, really. okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I know French too. Probably not as well as you, but... And it's, it's one of my biggest regrets, I have to say, that I, I don't speak Spanish. I wish I spoke Spanish. Right. Yeah. right. I lived in Spain. Really? So I, I speak Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I lived in Madrid and Andalusia. All right. When did you decide you wanted to be an actress? Early? Uh, definitely by the time I was a teenager, I knew I wanted to be an actor, yeah. Was, was this from your family or? No, no, there's, there's no kind of family connection with with theatre although my mum does still maintain that the reason I can do so many voices is because when I was little she used to read me my bedtime stories and used to do all the all the voices so <laughs> so uh, I owe it all to my mother and um, <laughs> and I'm very grateful yeah <laughs> <laughs> and al- although I didn't come from a family of actors I definitely came from funny people you know I, I I think I knew what funny was very early on and I knew I, I could I could kind of identify what was a funny turn of phrase I I came from people who can tell a story and that often goes hand in hand with making people laugh yes and writing as well I think because you 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 understand or you're drawn to narrative and you're drawn to characters and dialogue and and, and that's what I love to do and, and and listening to the way people speak as well I find people's speech patterns fascinating. Right. From an early age, would you say that you were interested in acting in terms of creating a character or were you were you more interested early on in comedy? I think I was interested. Well, I was an incredibly shy child, really, really shy. So, I mean, talk about, you know, least expected to do anything, <laughs> let alone get up and make people laugh. That was that would have been me. You know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I was painfully shy so potentially I suppose if I was thinking about it maybe I did find a route in with sort of making characters and 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 doing sort of voices and 
becoming other than myself. But I definitely identified quite early on that a really good way of um, deterring bullies was to be able to make them laugh. Mm. And um, and that really emboldened me, really, because I'd, I'd, I'd had a really unhappy stint at school, at one of the Catholic schools, at one of the <laughs> convent schools. I'd had a really unhappy stint there. And I realized one day that actually, if you can make them laugh, they'll leave you alone. Right. And and that's, I think that's kind of where I, I, I definitely honed it as a defense mechanism. Yeah. So, so hiding in a way, still being shy, hiding in a way behind the characters that you created early on. I guess, although I, although I all, I didn't do characters or anything when I was a right. kid, uh, but I, 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 I learned a way of uh, making people laugh. You know, I learned right. to, I suppose, to, to create the character of the, of the of the of the comedian of the class clown you know or of the of of the funny one and and it protected me i felt right so i uh, i came from theater myself i i never thought i would you know do film and television it, for me it was all about theater and and live performance and creating characters on stage you early on very prestigious in in Britain in London, uh, you became a member of the National Youth Theatre. And I heard you auditioned four times. For drama school, I auditioned for four times. Yeah. But no, National Youth Theatre, I, I, yeah, I was there with Daniel Craig. He was the shining light. Okay. When I was at, when I was at Youth Theatre and I was, um, I was, I, when he was playing Leonardo, the lead in Blood Wedding, I was playing girl one. <laughs> so that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, yeah, and things things blossomed from there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you must have had experiences though on on stage other than girl one through your how long were you there? Well, the thing is, we, I was there for quite a few years, but we kept we kept doing, we kept churning out this same this same play because I guess it had got a little bit of success. But I know we took it to Spain, we took it to the West End, we did it again in the West End, you know. And I think at some point, some I wasn't in this particular cast, but I think it then went went to Russia or something, you know. I mean, it, we really flogged this one, okay. and I, I just had a great time. I, I had I had a fantastic time, but I'd also um, running concurrently with that, I joined another youth theatre in the east end of London where I did get the chance to do lots of fun parts and, uh, you know, ha- had a little bit more to do than Girl One, yeah. Right. Um, and right. then by the time I got to Central, which was college, essentially, we all got our chance at doing leads and, and, and great parts, yeah. Did you think that theatre was what you were going to do? Or did you always have an idea of something else? No, I I absolutely loved theatre. And my my first job out of college actually was at the National Theatre. So having graduated from the Youth Theatre, I went to the actual National Theatre and stayed there about a year, I guess. And did, you know, touring shows, uh, you know, like um, around the theatres doing... My first job was uh, an Arthur Miller, was um, All My Sons. Oh, who did you play in All My Sons? The girl, the girl in it, you know, the... Yes. um, Anne? Yeah. Yeah, Man. it was. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. I did Joe Keller twice, by the way. Sorry, it's about oh, me. You did. I did Joe Keller twice <laughs> as a much, much too young man. Yes, I did Joe Keller twice. Right. 
Right, yes. right. Yes, I would say so. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just didn't didn't occur to me. Even when we were at school, you know, at drama school, it was theatre that we were trained in. We, You had a couple of, a, a, a tiny smattering of film and television. I mean, as a novelty, really. I mean, this is like 1994 or something. It was still theatre was the thing that the school wanted to churn out theatre actors, you know. And I absolutely thought that would be what I what I did, what I wanted to do. But by the time I graduated, the idea of repertory theatre just wasn't in the country anymore. It was it had died down. All mm. the all the regional theatres, all they did was receive the big touring productions touring on, a, on, a, on a weekly basis. Basically, you know what I mean. So yes, that that was all I wanted to do. I just thought, oh my god, I'll just go around doing plays all the time, and and it didn't really it didn't really pan out like that. Right. So what did so what did you do? You graduate and you're like, well, that life that I thought that I had. Well, I graduated and it all started off okay because I got I, I was I was at the national for a year, only doing like small parts and understudying. But you know, what do you care? You, you know, twenty five. Who cares? You know, that's what, what you should be doing. And then it, my contract stopped and. And I realized, you know what, I've got a feeling, I just had this inkling that I needed to do stand-up because I needed to separate myself from the pack, as it were. If, you're, if you've just left drama college, there's plenty of young 20-somethings, you know, who have, who have just graduated when you have, you know, I had to do something that sort of um, put, put me in a different environment. And, and so I... I just held my breath and jumped in and started doing stand up. And that was the best thing I've ever done because it that from there that was it. It it was the difference between waiting for the phone to ring from your agent going, "Oh, there's this this audition" and picking up the phone and booking your own spots, you know. Right. And I had a day job. I was working in an office, ironically. <laughs> and then and then after a few years I was able to stop the day job and and do do stand up full time. But it was having that power, it was taking back that power and feeling you've got some agency over your career where, you know, as many actors, they, they don't, you know, they right. don't. You are, you are at the mercy of, of, the, of the casting call, aren't you? Yes. How, how was that experience for you? Terrifying? Was it exhilarating? Obviously, it's still in front of a live audience, so you have experience with that, but now yeah. they have to laugh right how, how was that experience for you it was it was all of those things it was terrifying exhilarating it was like an out-of-body experience i mean if you analyze it the, the act of doing stand-up it's a preposterous idea and you'd never you'd never suggest anyone does it and you certainly wouldn't do it for yourself you know the idea of yes i definitely had a bit of stagecraft so when i when i went out and did my first open spot what do you call them open spots yeah yeah sure yeah open mic or whatever yeah yeah open mic exactly uh, it wasn't the first time I'd been in front of an audience so I had that going for me but even little simple things like I'd never held a microphone in my hand why how why would I I worked in theater you didn't need a, you didn't use a microphone it was just like what do you do with this oh my god what's this you know <laughs> and it was um it, it but it dawned on me I think halfway through my sort of my little five minute open spot was this is ridiculous because not only am I asking people, not only are you expecting people to be quiet, 
you're asking them to listen and then laugh at what you say. I mean, it's the, the notion is ridiculous if you if you if you analyse it. But I loved it. I loved it, and I I liked being frightened. I liked because it did frighten me, and I but I liked the challenge of it. I I felt a great sense of achievement and just facing all those demons of of being able to shut people up. And, and, and that for me, I, I loved that. I just loved that. You know, I right. loved thinking people could smell blood in the water because the thing is, this was, what was this? The, the night in the nineties, this is in the nineties. And it was not uncommon for, as your name, as they introduced you before you'd even got to the microphone, people would just shout out your shit. <laughs> 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 yeah, shit. You know what I mean? So it's really, really. Um, it was, but I liked the gladiatorial aspect of it. I did, okay. I did, because most of the time I actually thought it's all right. I know you think I can't take you on, but I can, and I and I can make you laugh as well. Right. And, and and obviously the thing about there's two different kinds of feelings. I think one is when you've written a joke. And you try it out and it gets that laugh and it lands and you go, oh, great. And the other one is coming up with something on, you know, on the fly. And they're right. two different kind of things, but they are both equally beautiful, you know, to to absorb. And it's just, it, honestly, it's feeling, it's just feeling king of the world, queen of the yeah. world, person of the world. Yeah. When you walk, when you walk off a, off a gig and, it, and it's gone well, as opposed to walking off a gig and it hasn't. Yeah, that's the worst. And, and I remember a much more, a much more experienced stand-up at the time said to me, "You will learn much more from your bad gigs than you ever will your good gigs." Because, and it's absolutely true. And, and I didn't have a bad gig till I'd been doing it about for quite a while. So I was the hubris I had was dangerous because you walk <laughs> in, you think this is. Here, here we are, you know what I mean? And then suddenly for the first time, everything you've done before, the alchemy is not there. Suddenly that, that chemistry, whatever it is, and you know you're saying the same thing and you're doing the same thing and you are the same person. They're not having it. And I remember <laughs> walking, literally walking off stage to the sound of my own footsteps and just honing my craft on that night I remember I remember like doing a workshop with myself and going when this happens you've got to do this when this happens you know and and it rang in my ears what that guy had said you will learn more from your bad gigs because you know six weeks in and I'm thinking I'm never gonna have a bad gig (laughs) 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 you yeah you suckers you ones with the bad yeah exactly (laughs) yeah exactly and then and then when when you you do the we have well we did have a thing here and it was called the network and you'd go around and do college campuses and they were brutal and that was a, that was a learning ground you know what i mean <laughs> but the but the deal was unless you stayed on for your full 25 minute set you wouldn't get paid and that oh. that taught you many things because you just had to find a way of just staying there before they physically, because you know the students would want to physically remove you, and you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not getting paid unless I stay. So, <laughs> you develop a thick skin. Yes. Do you? And this is an ignorant question. Do you think that the stand-up form would you say it's similar or the same as the United States, or 
Do you think in Britain there is more theatricality? And I don't know. I think about Eddie Izzard or others that I, I feel like that I've seen British comedians who I feel like there's more of a show as opposed to just telling jokes. Or, or do you feel like the, the form is, is similar? I would have to say now, I have to preface this with the fact that it's been a while since I've been in a comedy sh- club. It's been a while sure. since I've seen live stand-up. I kind of feel there's more there's more similarities, partly because hmm. I think even though British comedians have a very a very distinctive style, I think there's always we're always looking to what's happening in America, and most people's influences were American stand-ups. You know, okay. most people's influences, or not necessarily influences, but but points of reference and memories. And and I can remember when I was a student going to see Bill Hicks and um, I, I'd just never seen anyone on stage be so irreverent, you know, and just so, oh, I was open mouthed with, with just how thrilling it was. And, and, and I just think there's a, uh, I don't know, there's, there's, le- well, at the time, I think there was possibly less self-deprecation in the American stand-ups. I think it, I think it's all evened out now, and we all find our common ground of of, of, right. of speaking about our own failures. Really, I think yes. nothing's as funny as failure. Really. <laughs> if you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen nicotine pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zen won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zin. Find your Zin online or in a store near you at zin.com slash find. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. 
I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math and Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. When did you start developing your own characters or when did you decide that that was a direction you wanted to go? So that, that, that wasn't through your standup. Was that separate? Yeah, it wasn't. I was no, I I didn't, I I just didn't have the stomach to go out with props. I just think that's, you've got to be pretty fearless to go out. You know, it's sort of like, it's another level up when you say, not only going to be quiet, you're going to listen, you're going to laugh. You're going to wait while I get these hats out of my bag. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) and do stuff like that it was like for me it's because I didn't really love seeing character comedy too much you know I I, I, and I also didn't want that barrier between me and the audience I didn't want to have to filter a heckle through the mouth of someone else or anything like that and so I didn't I don't think I really had any interest in doing characters it was only that one of the real bankers in in my set was was the germ of what became <laughs> bizarrely what is now a film. It's called the Nan Movie, and I used to I, I I kind of like put it in context as if it was a conversation I'd had with my nan, which my nan wasn't like that, you know. Okay, it, it was, it was that's good. Um, shortcuts, and I just did this voice. All it was, I would do this voice, this nan voice, and it became a kind of. Um, calling card really you know because it was at the end of my set and uh, and and it got me noticed um because it was I guess you know at the time um it, it was it was strange to see this this what essentially was a was a young <laughs> was a young girl with um 
with a with a very old voice coming out of her and it and it took people by surprise and and that and it was only it was funny enough it was having said I I, I wasn't mad on character com- comedians there is a character comedian and I don't know if you know him I don't know if he's in America but he's called he's called Al Murray and he does a character called the pub landlord and he's incredibly yeah. popular here and he's he's absolutely brilliant but he came up to me one day and he said you need to do that as a character and I was like oh I don't know about that but anyway <laughs> through doing stand-up I met a comedian called Lee Mack he asked me if I'd go to Ed- the Edinburgh Festival and do a sketch show with him. Okay. But he he wrote it all, and I was just I was just kind of like the the, the girl in the sketch show. You know what I mean? Uh, we did that a couple of years. We got nominated for the Perrier, and the next year it was suggested that I go up with my own solo show, and that was the that was the first time when I thought, oh my god, I better come up with some characters. And I developed that. I kind of like fleshed out that nan character. Went up to Edinburgh. Did a did a did a show with five I think it's five characters, absolutely petrified. I was completely unprepared. The first night I improvised most of it. Didn't realise there was a, a national newspaper in. They gave me a massively great review. I sold out that run, and it kind of just went like that. But I remember coming off stage. Realising it had gone well and having to run to an internet cafe in order to get to try and remember everything I'd ri- I'd said and write it down and that became my script. Wow. Yeah, it was when I think back, I think, good lord, it's I and I don't know whether I, I imagine it's some sort of gene that I'm missing in terms of um, preparation or fear or organisation <laughs> or something. <laughs> But I've I've always sort of flown on the seat of my pants quite quite a lot, and then from then on the BBC saw me in that show, and it, it, it you know it kind of went a little too smoothly, <laughs> really. Right. But, um, but I can't complain. Yes. Well, for those of you who don't know, the Catherine Tate show ran off and on on the BBC for a long time. What were your what were your inspirations? So you you had this show that you did in Edinburgh. I guess, you know, for me, we, I'd watch things like French and Saunders and we had a show called Three of a Kind and um, a brilliant woman called Victoria Wood was a massive. Um, I, I, I would never, I, I could never say, um, I mean, she was an inspiration to me because she was so funny, but um, I mean, I would, could never compare myself to Victoria Wood, but um, she, she was incredible. But to be honest, I didn't, I did you know, it wasn't like I was thinking, oh, I've got to make these characters up. It was just purely the deadline of going, they're going to be filming this. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think, oh, I better do a Scottish one. I better do an Irish one, you know. And even right. by when we were filming it, I was completely convinced. It's, I was like, yeah, but it's not going to, it's not like they're actually going to show it, is it? You know, and, um, and they did. They they went and showed it. <laughs> they they showed it on the telly. They showed it on the telly, and <laughs> you you have a a a particular distinction. I read this: the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year for two thousand six. Yes, the, came from your show. My, well, one of my characters. Uh, this is the other thing. You know, I I kind of seem to have catchphrases. 
Yes. Which I had no idea anyone was going to pick up on what I was saying. And, and, and the thing is, it's not like you can actually sit down and write a catchphrase. You can't. It's the public. It's your fans who make a catchphrase by repeating it. And yes. I, I just could, couldn't could believe it. But anyway, one of the characters I did was a, a belligerent teenager whose stock phrase to anything was, am I bothered? I ain't bothered. Look at my face. My face ain't bothered. Bothered. Which is, of course, just a bastardization of, of the word bothered. And then, right. <laughs> you know, I'm not bothered. But it was very much with, with V's. And it, it took off like wildfire. To the point where it's still a thing people use and still a thing people say, and it's incredible. But yes, but the but the, but it infiltrated the language so much that the Oxford Dictionary made it an official word. And yes, it was word of the year one year, but now it is actually an entry into the into the yeah into the lexicon. So that is cool. that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. I right, that's really that. cool. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> Now we're getting to to Nan. So one of everyone's favorite characters from the Catherine Tate show, which was based on, not based on your Nan, right? Was not based on my Nan. Not based on your Nan. No, but probably a collection of old ladies I had the privilege of of growing up with. There was some, there was germs of, 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 you know, that idea. I don't know. I just had this voice in my head and... It really went from there. Right. Actually, so wait, I have a question about that. You, The characters you create, do you feel like most of them come from your own past experiences? No. You say a combination of people. I mean, I'm saying that very loosely, very, very, okay. very loosely, I guess. But it's right. but, they, but they don't end up being the people that I then portray. You know what I mean? I'll, you know, it's like you can steal from people's characters. And you can hide, you can hide someone's personality. Well, you can steal it, but you can hide their identity rather, as long as you change their physical appearance. Because people seem to only identify themselves physically, and it's so interesting. I mean, it's so interesting because I have a, one of my characters. It's just a, mar- a married couple. They're a married couple, and they're called Paul and Sam. And she starts off every conversation with, you won't believe what's happened to me today, right? You just won't believe it, right? And she just goes on to tell quite a banal story. Now, I know that person. I absolutely know that person. But because that person doesn't have long, dark hair, they seem to have no idea that's them. Because when the show first went out, they they came up to me and said, I've just seen your show. You won't believe it. It's on television, isn't it? You, know, you won't believe this. And I was like, and the show's like, that character, that is hilarious. And it's like, it's so extraordinary. There's there's another character that I do, which is, I mean, is actually, it is based on my mum. And it's, it's we just called a screaming woman. And it's someone who screams at every opportunity. It's what my mum did. That like the phone would ring and my mum would go, oh, you know, scream, and it's like, Mum, you know that's what the phone does. You know? <laughs> like, like the doorbell would ring. Wow, you know, she screams like Jesus. Anyway, I remember watching that with my mum when my show went out, and this, this, it was a, it was a sketch of a woman standing in front of a microwave and looking at the countdown go from nine seconds to zero, and on zero it beeps, and the woman screams. 
And <laughs> my mum laughed and I said, Mum, you know, that's base, that's you. You know that. And my mum said, Don't be ridiculous. My hair doesn't look like that. Mad <laughs> 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 curly hair on this on this character. And I right. just thought, how funny, someone who screams at things. <laughs> so obviously you uh, you have different hair, you have prosthetics, you have different things that change your appearance. My question is, are, are, there, are there things that you do physically to get into certain characters? Brian, if only I was so highbrow that I did that. I literally, <laughs> I get into characters because I've got a tax bill to pay. <laughs> no I, I would say I I mean I'm not I'm definitely not very method if it feels right I do it right but I don't I don't have any backstories to my to my character no, I'm not talking about that hold on I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you an example okay so this is not highbrow this is not backstory. this is not so Kevin Malone right the character that I played on the office so for me I had this idea that he didn't realize his size in space. He just was unaware that he was as big as he was. And so one of the things that I th thought about was his hips did not rotate, right? There was no rotating. So if he had to, to look to the right, his entire body had to move to the right. Like it, it was this stasis thing. So that's what I'm talking about. Like, is, was there anything like that? And if the answer is no, then then that's fine but i don't i don't think there there were partly because most of the characters that i do ask are in are in short form they're in sketches so you kind of don't right. have that that you don't have that relationship with them to to build up that that kind of stuff so it has to have a shorthand and that's why i say like if it felt right i did it and i would i would i would move differently but i just think it was just putting on the stuff and the voice coming out and just knowing I had to do it, I wouldn't be able to articulate, articulate it. Yeah. yeah. That, okay. Because it was just more of a, a thing that happened, but probably because it had to happen much more fast. Right. Yeah. But that's really interesting. That's so interesting about Kevin. <laughs> yeah. But to be, to be honest, that was something that I, I mean, I think like you, that was something with the voice, with the physicality that I did, it wasn't until afterward that I went back and was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. I don't yeah. know if that makes sense. So I think, yeah, I think kind of similarly was sort of approach similar, like, oh, that's just how he moves. So Nan takes yeah. off. You have, you have the show now, Nan, was that a challenge for you taking just spending so much time in that character's body? I think it was the only I realized it was the only character out of all of the, the characters from the sketch show that really had the, as they say, you know, the legs to, to sustain a, a longer form of narrative. And so we did quite a few specials with that character and, and people loved that, you know, people do love that character here. It's, she, she's just kind of got into the, the, the psyche somehow. And it's probably because, Everyone knows someone like that here, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's their own mother, whether it's their grandmother. But I'm always told, oh, my God, my mother-in-law's just like that. My aunt's like that. My neighbor, you know, my own mum, you know, or my na you know, and, and it's, it, it's really, yeah, it, it's really lovely to see the way she just got embraced. And, um, yeah. and I felt, I mean, also, there's, you know, 
not not to be coy about it there's 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 a great deal um there's a great deal of the success which is just about old people swearing you know? right. <laughs> 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 swears a lot <laughs> the privilege privilege of age is it's funny to see old people swear right you know well, you just had the movie, the Nan, the Nan movie come out. Yeah. As m- far as I can tell, it is not available yet in the United States. I'm sure very soon. Yes. I, think I saw you soon. showed up at the premiere as Nan, that Nan showed up she at did. the premiere. You know, publicity is always a difficult thing. I think, you know, uh, it's much more fun to be, it's certainly much more fun to be able to do it as, as Nan. And that's, um, yeah, I mean, that was the biggest challenge to take uh, what was essentially a sketch character and 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 do a film, but it became an origin story, and we, we go back in time, and and it and it kind of explains why she is such a kind of cantankerous old bastard, and and we, sh- we shot the past on film, and it it's not what you expect. You know what I mean? It's certainly not what you, anyone I think would have ever have thought was going to come from a sketch character. So so it's great. What are what are some of your favorite British comedies all time? Um, well, the Catherine Tate Show, obviously, but. I mean, come on. The Office, I have to say. Okay. You know, the, the British Office, I always thought and maintain is a piece of modern art. I I, I really do. Uh, as I say, French and Saunders, Blackadder. Hmm. Gosh, I'm now, I'm, now, I'm now wondering what are the British comedies? <laughs> what are they? <laughs> well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know that Doctor Who uh, qualifies. Oh, um, no, as a comedy, but how was that experience for you appearing on on such an iconic show in the UK? It was at, at the time. I, I, well, I, ha, I I didn't realize until recently how extraordinary my stint on that show has been for me because I I just I I, I mean look, it isn't the kind of subject matter I choose to watch or in, engage in because I don't I just don't have a, a big enough imagination to grasp what I'm, I mean most of the time I was in, in a show that I didn't know what I was doing you know I didn't understand it it's, I think you've just got to be quite intelligent to understand sci-fi and I guess I'm just not but I, I had a most fantastic time making it I made it you know we had just the most brilliant year in Cardiff in Wales, me and David Tennant, and we loved it, and I loved it, and that was it. And I just thought, and that was it. I had no idea the fan base of Doctor Who. I really didn't. Yeah. And also, because I don't watch it, and I didn't watch it when it went out or anything like that, I, I, I didn't, and I'm also I'm not on social media, I, I, I have no idea really how things are, are going. And it was only David saying to me, why, why don't you do Comic-Cons? And I said, for what? I mean, who, who would possibly who would remember me on it? You know, and he said, you should come and do it. And I was blown away because most of, well, yes, most of them are in America. So I had no idea. Not only did I have no idea anyone knew who the character was anyway after it finished, that it had travelled across the continent, I had no idea. I was amazed. Amazed. Yeah. It really is. I do consider it, of all the things I've done, I do consider Doctor Who one of the greatest 
privileges to have done because it really matters to so many people. As to be fair, does the office. Right. And I'm sure you know that more than, <laughs> a lot more than I do, but it, you know, it, things that are in people's, it's almost like they're in the fabric of people's lives. Yes. And that's, that's not nothing. No, it's not nothing. No, it, it really matters to people. Yeah. I've been fortunate enough to have been told many times the comfort that the office brings to people, the feeling that it gives them. It 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 is it is a privilege. I think you're I think you're exactly right. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen nicotine pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zen won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zin. Find your Zin online or in a store near you at zin.com slash find. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart 
in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. You brought up the UK, the original office, as one of you know your favorite British comedies. Were you aware of the American version before you came across the pond? Yes, I was. I was. Okay. I have to say, when I first heard that a remake was going to happen, I was furious. Apoplectic? <laughs> I was just, you know, I was full to the brim with scorn and derision at the idea that anyone would would touch this show. Yes. Until I saw it. I've heard this before. Yeah. I mean, yes. it was just, but I think it's because we, 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 we prejudged what it was going to be. And I think what, for what, what essentially was a very, very un-American show, that was where the two things just didn't, you just couldn't see how these would make bedfellows. This right. this British show in the hands of American comedy, American comedy that is brilliant and we love it, but it doesn't do that. It doesn't do that. And right. what are you going to do? Are you going to make, well, how wrong we were and how wrong I was. And I was hooked. And I didn't, and I didn't think I could have loved anything more than I loved the British version. And then I saw Steve Carell. Yeah. And everyone else. And it was amazing. And it, and so it, it was very, very close to my heart before I before I got a phone call to say they were thinking about putting me in it. You know, that to me, that was like that that was nuts. That was like that was like a fan moment. You know, that's like I all I do is watch this show. I watch this show. Right. And the idea of being in it was too surreal for me. Right. I, I talked to Ricky Gervais about this. I don't know that he fully agrees with me, but with the, you know, with time and, and distance between the two shows and both of them being done now, I th- and, and part of it is, I understand the model in the UK is very different, but at least I guess defined in terms of American sensibility, the British version, brilliant. I mean, I was a huge fan of it. But I think by the time it, it is over, I think in terms of America, it really is like a miniseries. The show starts and Ricky Gervais' character, David Brent, the clock is ticking from the beginning. Like there is <laughs> there is no way that Ricky Gerv- that David Brent lasts in that job for nine years. Right. Like it's, just, yeah. it's, not, it's not possible. So I think to me that 
that now is sort of where I, I sit with it. And just in terms of them being almost two totally different entities, as opposed to trying to compare them. I think that's absolutely right. And I think also, it's you talk about the model, and I think that's right. But I think I think he went into that show. In fact, I, I, as I understand it, I'm pretty sure he went into that show knowing there was going to be a cutoff point and yes. knowing it was going to be short-lived and knowing it was going to come in, burn brightly and go and remain. But it, it, it wasn't, you know, I don't think he had any interest in doing doing the American model of it. On, on 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 his turf, you know, the yes. fact that, and that was the thing that was so like, how is this going to carry on? You know, but of course, it the, it was like the baton was passed and a different race begun, I think, you yeah. know, it was because I think you're absolutely right. They are, they are two very, very different things, both equally brilliant and, 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 and sort of strangely not comparable even though they, they came from right. the same thing, you know. <laughs> they came from the same thing, right. You you came in in episodes, uh, in season seven, uh, search committee episode. At that point, were you aware that you were coming back when no. you came and did the guest star part? No. No. When I, when I came, I'm pretty sure this is what happened. I think I came in and, and sort of filmed the, interview that's what she did didn't she Correct. she was in the interview and i was I, I remember i was um i'd taken uh, 48 hours off from rehearsals i was doing much ado about nothing in the west end funny enough with david tennant and and i said I, i've got to go and sort of essentially do a bit of a screen test on camera really on on this right. show and they let me go. And I was, it was a 48-hour turnaround. And I, I went in, did the shot this couple of scenes, went out to dinner with my agents that night, about to get on the plane the next morning. And when he arrived, he said, they have rang to book you for 10 more episodes. Okay. That was going to be in the next season. The next season, yeah. Yeah, and I think it was 10 episodes. And I think that's what happened. So I knew I was going back to do 10 episodes because that would have been around about April time. And then I was coming back in the fall to do 10 episodes is what I heard. And then while I was doing the 10 episodes, they extended the contract for the whole of the next season. Yeah. I think there was a very different, because I'd met with Greg a few years before I eventually turned up and he had expressed an interest in putting me in. I think it was a very different idea then. I think things changed. But I remember him saying, he said, I would love to put you in the show. He said, I can't do it yet because I've got to get this new show up and running. And that was Parks and Rec. Right. And that, and that started and that took off. And I thought, oh, I'll never hear from them again. And then he did. <laughs> he rang and said, we, yes. we would like you to do this part. Yes. Yeah. How was that experience for you? coming and joining all of us? It was one of the happiest jobs I've ever had. I absolutely loved it. And I loved all of you. And I, and I, again, a bit like the Doctor Who show, you, you jump in to this incredibly successful show, phenomena, franchise, you know, or whatever. Um, you coast on the coattails of, of everyone who's <laughs> in the work, you, you know, you turn up and 
I it was a dr- absolute dream job. It was it was the it was the best way I could have ever experienced working in not only in America but in Los Angeles, where as someone once said to me, "Don't go until you're invited. It will be a lonely old experience." <laughs> and and to to go with no real risk to me. Do you know? What I mean, I was going on this right. highly established, brilliant, loved show. I mean. Albeit, I have to say, doing, you know, playing a, a, an incredibly divisive and not very likable character, but <laughs> that was fun as well. You know, I mean, I would, I have and still do, I have people that, you know, I have a huge kind of like section of people who only know me as Nelly from The Office, who only know right. me as, 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 are you from The Office? You know, which is fantastic. Um, but I've often, I often get, oh my God, you're Nelly? I hated you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, you're the worst. Uh, You're the worst. (laughs) It's so Uh. funny. You know when you're like at a Comic Con and it's so funny the way people, I mean, I've learned to be very thick skinned about what people say who don't mean mean anything. But when they say stuff like, I don't care what anyone says, I liked you. Oh, thank God I'm not on social media. (laughs) That is so funny. But I think that by the end, now, did you, did you talk to the writers at all about the, about the character or the journey (laughs) of the character? I mean, that, that you, you having a baby. Yes, I do. I do remember. I do, I don't know. I didn't. That wasn't my idea or anything. But I do okay. remember at one point going in and saying, I, I can't say this. I can't say this. Surely, surely we can't say this. I remember she was just being so obtuse about stuff. And they're like, it's funny. It's funny. It's like, oh, gosh. Um, but I just. I loved it. It's it's one of those things that you know. Obviously, we, because we're shooting much more than ever gets seen. Right. I just thought, unfortunately, some of the stuff that I shot with Paul, um, Toby, um, it, yeah. it didn't make it. But I just thought they were a very funny couple. Very funny. Yeah, and uh, oh, and I I just have such such great memories of of. Of experiencing American TV the way I did, I obviously it ruined me. You know, it ruined me because I came back here to do <laughs> to do shows that that the entire budget of the show was less than our craft service budget. You know, it was yes. it was a different experience. And obviously, by the time I got there, because I remember I, I can't remember who it was who told me. It might have been Kate actually, who said that. There was a stark difference, you know, that when from when you started out to where where the show ended up. Oh yeah, no, you were there for the good days. I was there. You I was were there the, for the twenty-seven yeah. different types of cereal day, you know, in in, in the kitchen. <laughs> and and honestly, people say to me, "What was the best part about working on the office?" And I say, "Was the food." <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know if you remember this or not. But there was in the in the season finale, there was there was yeah. the baby, right? Yeah. That you ended up yeah. 
But now this is my recollection. If I'm wrong, you tell me. My recollection was that the baby would only smile at me. Yes! And so when you were shooting, I wasn't even in the scene. I could have been in my trailer eating cereal, but I was standing right by the camera for the, or like behind you so that it looked at you and smile. I don't remember, but I was there. Oh my God, you are absolutely right. You'd be standing there and the baby would turn its head and smile. I've only just remembered that. That's absolutely correct. (laughs) Thank you for doing that. Well, I have, I have a face only a baby would love. (laughs) Um, Hard sell out now on Netflix, just out. How was that process of doing that? I am so excited to watch it. thank you. Hard sell with a C because it's set in prison. It's a prison cell. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, no, no. no, Hard kill. Hard kill. No, hard sell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, I guess I'm back to my roots because I'm playing six different characters. Yes. Um, It was brilliant. I'd never worked for Netflix before, and I was – really heartened in terms of how much creative well in in, in, how I owned everything creatively but I um right uh, they let me go there and it is a show that goes there and I think in comedy that's quite important that I wasn't censored or anything and if anything you know occasionally a question would come up and I'd answer it and then they'd go, okay, fair enough. You know, because at the end of the day, I was very lucky to be working with a team whose answer was, yeah, fair enough. It's just funnier that way. And that's really important. That's great. And the, the style I understand is is mockumentary, documentary style, similar yeah. to The Office. Yeah, somewhat. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, the, because I realized because I was directing it as well, I needed a device that would get me out of jail. <laughs> no pun intended but um you know that would get me out of trouble yeah. and that's a good thing you know what I mean you because you can explain something to down the line down the lens down the barrel when you need a little bit of glue actually not not that I in the end ended up doing it because everything was pretty tightly scripted but it's so lovely to be able to have it's a perfect device to be able to improvise to camera obviously Yes. Um, and we and we did I did certainly use that. And I had a I had a great experience actually. I mean it was a fairly arduous shoot just because there was only one character that wasn't in prosthetics. But um Okay. Uh but it was it was great. It was great. And um amazingly people have um well I'm <sighs> sorry, sorry, do myself down too bad. Amazingly people like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait. Hard sell on Netflix. Also, the Nan movie, the busiest <laughs> woman in television, directing, writing, acting, not just one part, but seven. <laughs> I I can't tell you how how much I appreciate Catherine, you coming and uh and talking to me. I remember our days so fondly, and I, I can't wait. Well, for more of the pandemic to disappear and we can Absolutely. see each other. Oh, more. well, thank you so much for asking me. I'm delighted. Catherine, thank you so much. 
It was so great to catch up with you. It's been so long. Not only was that fun, it was educational. I learned so much about you today. You are an absolute delight. To all of you listeners, thank you for joining us. And make sure to check out Catherine's new mockumentary, Hard Sell, with a C, C C-E-L-L, which is now out on Netflix. And I'll see you next week for another, well, for another week and another guest on Off The Beat. Make sure to follow along at Off The Beat on Instagram. We're verified now, baby. So we check us out for all updates about the podcast. And I, I will talk to you soon. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our producers are Diego Tapia, Liz Hayes, Emily Carr, and Hannah Harris. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton, and the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.